So thank you for being a part of this morning. Thank you for being here with us, each of you who are here um, in person, indoors and outdoors and online. Thank you for being a part of this. My name's Julie. I'm the pastor of formation here at Highway. And today we're continuing on in our Lenten teaching series, Signs of Life. This is a journey through the seven signs and wonders that Jesus performed that are recorded in the gospel according to John. And while each point to a distinct aspect of Jesus's messianic identity, they're all written for a unified, singular purpose. And that is revealed in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And so in this season, in these weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we're reflecting how the signs in the book of John enable us to actively believe or believe into Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And we're considering the invitations that those signs extend to each of us to have life in Jesus' name. We started off our series looking at a miracle that Jesus performed at a wedding in Cana. This sign, significant in that it's the first in John's gospel, it reveals Jesus' glory as he compassionately and generously and abundantly makes something out of nothing, and he fills it with something far better than what was ever there before. And then last week, we found Jesus in Cana, having left and then returned, demonstrating a second sign. Here, Jesus reveals that his word alone has power, and it is enough to heal an official's gravely ill son. Whom Now, Jesus, whom John refers to as the word, the word at the beginning, Jesus' word is enough. And this morning, we're going to take a look at the third sign in the book of John. Now, Jesus has left Cana, again having healed an official son by the power of his word. And here we find Jesus back down in Jerusalem again, having been there previously at Passover. Jesus, racking up those steps, man. So anyways, Jesus walks back down to Jerusalem, and as was the case the previous time that he was there, he's arrived during a festival. Now, we're not told which festival this is, but because we know that the author writes with intention, this doesn't really make a difference to what's being conveyed. The crucial point, which we'll see as we make our way through the passage, is found in the day of the week. So let's put a pin in that and check out today's passage. Would you please join me in checking out John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, 
Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Here we find Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. This is north of the temple and near a market where sacrificial sheep were bought and sold, so definitely not the main thoroughfare to the temple. But lots of people are there, and that's at least in part because of this myth that its waters have healing properties. Now, these waters were stirred up from time to time, probably due to movement from an underground stream. And when the water was stirred up, it became easier to access. And well, that was the time to make a move and try to touch it. So this great number of people, all searching for healing, would all try to access this water, their way to this pool at this exact time, with the hopes of being the first to get in. I can only imagine the jockeying that happened there then. Among the crowd is a paralytic who'd suffered with a disability for 38 years. This is essentially a lifetime in Jesus' day. The average uh, lifetime expectancy then, especially for someone of low economic status, which surely was the case for this man due to his affliction, it was much shorter than that of today. Biblical scholars' estimates of average life expectancy in this era is varied. 30 years, 35, 50. Regardless, even factoring in high infant mortality rates, we get the picture that this man is older and that he's been afflicted for what I imagine felt like and probably was the bulk of his life. So, Jesus sees this man and asks, do you want to get well? And what was his response? Well, the paralytic doesn't directly answer this question, but rather explains why he thinks he can't get well. In verse 7, we read, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So the man says he can't get well because there's no one to help him get into the water and because other people get in front of him. He offers all these reasons or excuses for why he thinks he can't get well, which are all built on this false notion that the waters offer healing in the first place. And he's saying all of this to the person who can actually offer true healing, the true source of healing. And what's Jesus' response? He doesn't even address those excuses. Verse 8 tells us, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The Greek of this verse describes this healing as happening kai eutheos, literally meaning right away or at once. At once, get up, pick up, walk. These movement-oriented commands to someone who hasn't been able to move well for almost 40 years years. These are made possible by Jesus at once. I'll tell you, I have a daughter who lives in San Diego, and after a long road trip to see her, cramped in the car, I can't get out and get up and walk at once at all. Atrophy is a real thing, and I think that, as I've personally experienced, becomes an increasingly real thing as one gets older. In fact, 
According to the National Health Service of England, it's often been said that for people over 80 years, for every 10 days of bed rest in the hospital, it leads to 10 years worth of lost muscle mass. However, no amount of atrophy or reduced muscle or bone mass would keep the man who'd suffered all those years of immobility from becoming mobile at once. We see in this passage that before healing the man, that Jesus first learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time. I think it's safe to assume that this fact is meaningful and that this healing would be a clear sign, a clear, indisputable miracle. Now again, John is intentional with his words. So it would do us well to consider Jesus' instruction to the paralytic to pick up his mat and walk as it's seen or referenced four times in this account in verses 8, 9, 11, and 12. So as we think of these instructions, which are repeated many times for emphasis, a question that we might have is, what's up with the mat? Why did Jesus even mention it? Why didn't he just say, get up and walk? Was it like when I'd say to my girls as we were leaving a public pool and getting ready to leave, don't forget your goggles, pick up your towel, look around and make sure that you didn't leave anything behind? Well, I'm pretty sure that forgetfulness and tidiness had nothing to do with it. By commanding the man to pick up and walk with his mat, Jesus masterfully sets the stage for what's about to unfold. Okay, let's return to that pin that we placed earlier. While we don't know which festival is happening right now, the author makes it abundantly clear what day of the week it is, even though we had to wait for it. What John suspends for dramatic effect and then reveals in verse 9 is... The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. By commanding the man to take up his mat or his load and walk, Jesus sets the stage for a confrontation around breaking the Sabbath because doing these things is considered work, not keeping the Sabbath. This was a huge deal which carried tremendous consequence. Working on the Sabbath was a capital offense. This is outlined in Exodus 31:15, which says, for six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. And in fact, we see this play out in Numbers 15, 32 to 36, where a Sabbath breaker was executed for gathering sticks. So the religious leaders notice and confront the healed man for not observing the Sabbath. And how does he respond? Well, he deflects, I imagine, somewhat panicked. And he says he was just doing what the man who made him well told him to do, this person whom he later identifies as Jesus. And what happens next? Well, now the leaders turn their attention to Jesus, whom they also see as having broken the Sabbath by working so the leaders confront Jesus, and he responds. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always working, 
is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which are purposefully selected and curated, they are more than demonstrations of power. They're signs of Jesus' messianic identity. Only God was to work on the Sabbath, and here Jesus is working on the Sabbath. Jesus' healing on this day is a sign of who he is. His Father works on the Sabbath, and Jesus, who is equal with him, who is his Son, Jesus is also working on the Sabbath. And that's because Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. The healing of the paralytic is a sign that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. Sabbath. It's a key biblical theme, and it's found and developed in many areas, in many places throughout Scripture. For starters, literally, we see the principle of the Sabbath in the creation narrative, in the very beginning. And it's also resident in the fourth commandment, both of which can be seen in Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh he rested, and he blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy or set apart for a specific use. The Sabbath rhythm is so important that God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. God made the Sabbath day holy, and he commands his people to keep it holy to keep the Sabbath day set apart for God. How are God's people to set this day apart? Well, oral tradition provides quite a list. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to stop or to cease. And the list of things from which to be stopped or ceased is really long. Theologian R.T. France provides some observations. Fundamental to the rabbinic discussion was the agreed list of 39 categories of activities which were to be classified as work for this specific purpose, some of which are very specific, writing two letters, erasing in order to write two letters, others so broad as to need considerable further specification, building, pulling down, while the last Taking anything from one's domain, normally a private courtyard to another, is so open-ended as to cover a vast range of daily activities. These laws, they shape the lives of Israelites for generations. And yet, 
for all of their specifics and generalities, they miss the point of the Sabbath because the Sabbath is not so much about rules as it is about rest and what God gives us through that. In addition to the creation narrative and the Sabbath day, the Sabbath rhythm is seen elsewhere in Scripture. It's seen when the Israelites, while in the wilderness, are instructed to observe rhythms of gathering and not gathering manna on a seven-day cycle. And every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, cancel debts, and allow the land to rest or lie fallow. We see this rhythm in the year of Jubilee, the seventh time of the seventh year, which is marked by freedom from captivity and poverty, a radical and social economic reset. And so, as we zoom out and look at scripture, we see that Sabbath is about rest and it is also about liberation and restoration and renewal. It is about making space to extend mercy, just like Jesus did when he extended miracles of mercy on the Sabbath seven times. It is about trusting in God's faithful and abundant provision And it is about acknowledging that time actually belongs to God and living that out and receiving the blessings that come from living that out and living according to this rhythm just like what God wove into the fabric of creation. As Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day set apart for humanity. It was set apart for us, not to bind us, but to set us free. It was set apart to bless us with life. This Lenten season, Highway families are setting apart a day for God and his gifts. The kids are invited to give something up by going low-tech in order to make space to receive something life-giving from God. Each week, Miss Danielle and her leaders will give the kids something that they can do with their families on their Sabbath day. In fact, here's what the kids are coming home with today. These are dry cookie ingredients. So the families are just an egg and a cup of milk and an oven away from homemade cookies. Now, those are not actually, like, necessarily the right ingredients, the right proportions, so if you're a parent, like, Look for the instructions from Miss Danielle. (laughs) It is a good time to be in highway kids, and it is a good time to be a parent or a sibling of a highway kid. Good things happen when we release time to God and make space for rest. The Sabbath is a gift. Jesus isn't doing away with the Sabbath. He is reclaiming it. He is reclaiming it from the narrative of legalism and all of its harmful effects. God gave us something better than the law. God gave us Jesus. Jesus can and sometimes does work beyond the bounds of what's always been and tradition and the letter of the law. Life in Jesus' name can be beyond these things because sometimes laws fall short Sometimes traditions need to be revisited, changed, or even folded. Sometimes God invites us to do a new thing. 
Late last summer, I got a text from Pastor Paul Baines, who pastors the St. Samuel Church of God in Christ, which is a black church in East Palo Alto. He extended an invitation for Highway to be a part of a new thing, supporting an event called Ignite Peace, Pray EPA. The city of East Palo Alto has long suffered the devastating effects of unjust, broken systems, and last year they suffered in a particularly acute way, broken systems' most devastating effect, loss of life. The vision of Ignite Peace, Pray EPA, was to prayerfully ignite peace and take back the city from the grip of violence in a really fun way, a huge, family-friendly community event complete with free food and bouncy houses and worship and prayer. And this was envisioned by the local church in East Palo Alto, the black faith community and its leaders. And God called them to partner with allies from surrounding churches who would come under their leadership and the vision that God gave them. So, Highway had this honor of invitation to allyship and loving our black neighbors. Okay, so this invitation, this opportunity to support in this way was huge, like such an honor. Pastor Bain's text included an invitation to participate in a planning meeting, but as I looked at the details in that text very carefully, and then I cross-checked my calendar, I sort of froze when I saw the event date, August 28th. August 28th was the last Sunday in August last year. Since Highway's inception, we've held our annual business meeting, affectionately known as The Gathering, on the last Sunday in August, as August is the end of our fiscal year. So, depending on the start and the end time of Ignite Peace, there'd be anywhere between a slight conflict to a direct conflict with The Gathering. And so I head into the Ignite Peace Pray EPA planning meeting, wondering if, and frankly hoping, that assuming all things are equal, that the event might get scheduled to another day. So the meeting starts up. And one of the first things that Pastor Bain shares as he kicks things off is that the faith leaders who conceived this event and chose the date of the event, August 28th, or 828, that they, they saw in this event the way that it points to the current and prophetic truth of Romans 828, which tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Even through the tragic violence, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called by him. In whom and through him, his purposes are manifest. Okay. Romans 8.28. August 28th. And in addition to that, over 28 organizations were invited and eventually um, stepped into the opportunity to pray for East Palo Alto on 28 street corners for eight minutes and 28 seconds. <laughs> okay. So the event date would not, and definitely should not be moved. Okay, so now what to do? The gathering has always been on the last Sunday of August. Well, 
Sometimes there's no one right way. Sometimes when we open our eyes to what God's doing right in front of us, it's about the new way. Last year, for the first time ever, we moved the gathering to a day that was not the fourth Sunday in August. We moved it up by one week, and Highway stepped into the great invitation and honor that was extended to us to support the vision and leadership of God's church in East Palo Alto, a manifestation of our stated commitment to racial justice. And we got to be a part of an event where heaven met earth. Here are a few images from the event. What a glorious day that it was. By doing things in a new way and not being tethered to tradition, how we got to bear witness to and be a part of something amazing. And you know, it worked out just fine having the gathering on the third Sunday in August. Highway received the blessing of both and as we moved beyond the bounds of what we've always done before. This allowed us to do both the gathering and support the black faith community and the movement that God was birthing through them right in our own backyard. And so, as we leave this place and as Nick returns to the stage, I invite you to consider what bounds, rules, or traditions, or expectations might be barriers to experiencing life in Jesus, or be, being a part of extending life in Jesus to others. Where might the Holy Spirit be revealing to you that there's no one right way? Where might Jesus be inviting you to perhaps break with tradition or the letter of the law in order to follow him into something new? Where might new ways of thinking open doors to rest or liberation or restoration or renewal or perhaps mercy or the fruit to be had when trusting in God's faithful and abundant provision? Where, beyond the bounds, might the Spirit be calling you to go in order for you or for others to experience life in Jesus' name today. Let's pray. Sovereign God, you who reign and rule over the heavens and the earth, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us your Son in whom and through whom your authority is manifest. Thank you for the way that his life allows us to see your heart and for the way that he reminds us that you can call us beyond bounds to experience and be a part of your kingdom, bursting forth in our midst. I pray, Holy Spirit, for wisdom and attunement to your movement and that we would be obedient to it, even and especially when it's the threshold of new spaces and opportunities to do things differently 
for your glory. Give us the courage and the imagination and the presence to do that and represent you well. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to see your new way. For it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.